I am George Knapp listening to that UFO podcast and having one hell of a good time. Hi everyone and welcome back to That UFO Podcast. My name is Andy and it's a breaking news breakdown for you. A couple of announcements came out this evening and joining me to discuss those, Dan. Hi, hi. It's a a good day. It is a good day and depending on what side of copyright law you're on um, (laughs) for for those that have been following social media the last 24 hours. We we won't go into it, but yeah, yeah, you'll appreciate that one. If not, just ignore it. Dan, a couple of announcements we're going to talk over tonight. You've kind of focused on one of them mainly, and I focused on the other, but you're kind of across both, and I've heard half of one. The big announcement first, and then we'll get to Two of the Stars Academy, but the big announcement was from NASA. And not not totally unexpected, I don't think, given the, the recent rumblings from NASA and Bill Nelson's statements and the idea they were going to be getting on board with the UFO UAP subject. They have announced they're setting up a nine-month-long independent study on UAPs to begin this fall. And if you're outside of the US, fall, I believe, is August, September? Yeah. End, end of summer? Towards the end of the year, yeah. Yeah. It's when the leaves start to fall, I think. That's, that's <laughs> the general the general gist, yeah. Um, so, yeah, so take us through the call, Dan. I managed to hear, folks, uh, about half of this because both NASA and Two of the Stars had webinars and announcements at exactly the same time. It was 6 p.m. UK, 10 a.m. Pacific, 1 p.m. Eastern, um, and wherever else you are in the world. Um, I watched the, the Tom DeLong Two of the Stars one in full. Dan watched NASA with an eye on the Tom DeLong one as well. Um, so we'll, we can kind of cover both of them for you. But NASA is certainly the main one. I can I can promise you that much, trust me. And I'll yeah. tell you why when we get to the To The Stars one. It, um, it kind of amused me that the To The Stars one went for longer um, and they didn't really have that much to, to announce. Uh, but it was a cool announcement and we'll get to it. But the, the NASA one, uh, there, there were three people on the call. Uh, David Spurgel, who's uh, president of the Simons Foundation in New York City and chair of the astrophysics department at Princeton University in Princeton, New Jersey. Daniel Evans, who is the assistant deputy associate administrator, that's a mouthful, for research at NASA's Science Mission Directorate. He's the guy that's kind of leading this, basically. We also have um, Thomas uh, Zerbuchen. If I've said that wrong, I apologize. He's associate administrator of the agency's science mission directorate. So Thomas is the guy who has taken the reins on this and has run with it and has made this happen. So if people are like, who, why? Thomas is your guy. So we kicked off with uh, one of them saying, frankly, I think there's new science to be discovered, which I thought was amazing. The The safety of aircraft did come up, but it was kind mm-hmm. of secondary to them being excited about science, which I love. Scientists should be curious. And these guys definitely were thing we should emphasize is this is just step one. The remit of this is that the study will focus on identifying available data, how best to collect future data, and how NASA can use that data to move the scientific understanding of UAP forward. So like you say, this is a nine-month study to just establish what's there. Um, and key is that it's a transparent study. So there's though some of the members of uh, this group will have classified clearance. They will not be dealing with classified data. It will be public facing, transparent, and they will be having, they said, public press conferences and public reports as they go along into this, which I thought was really wonderful. Just on that, I, I want to clear this up early on that when when this was announced, I saw people online straight away with, with the classic, NASA already know 
never a straight answer is what NASA stands for, and NASA know what's going on with the UFO phenomenon. <laughs> yeah, but to be honest, it, it's that age-old thing of I think there are a few people in the past or maybe presently who know what's going on in terms of the UFO phenomena or have a rough idea that we have things in our skies that aren't human technology. However, I don't think the gentlemen involved in this are those people. I think these no. are genuinely interested, enthusiastic scientists. They all sounded just to me, Dan, I don't know if it came across to you hearing more of the call. They all sounded quite open and interested in the subject 100%. to varying degrees as well. Like this is something they're quite excited and interested in. Um, so I don't think this is the, the gatekeepers here playing dumb. This is genuinely something that Bill Nelson, who is the NASA administrator, has a massive interest, has been briefed on the UFO, UAP subject in government and his previous roles, has has promised essentially that he wanted NASA to be more involved in the UAP investigations. And you have to say that he's keeping that promise because this is something that will have come directly from his stewardship of NASA uh, and these gentlemen kind of taking the lead. 100%. And, and we're going to be looking at... so. A question on people's lips will probably be, are we going to be looking at historical data? These gentlemen aren't aware of the historical data yet, but they know that it exists. And that was super encouraging. They basically pointed out that there is a whole boatload of data um, that isn't just in the government, but it's from civilians, nonprofits, it's from companies, and they will collect and analyze it all. Like I said, the analysis is going to be step two, but step one is going to inform them as to how they should analyze and how they should move forward. They will also be securing the council, uh, council of experts in scientific aeronautics and data analytics communities uh, to to help them kind of pass this because it's a big job. This is this is an anomalous phenomena that, it, though it might have been studied by the gatekeepers, like you say, these people are new to it, and we kind of have to start over and figure out how to go about this and, and what it is uh, in a public facing manner. So you know, combine this in your heads with Galileo. You know, I think they're going to end up feeding into each other pretty much. I think one of the comments off the back of what you've said there from from one of the gents, it was hard. I was driving as I was listening to the to the conversation on, on YouTube, um, admitted that NASA is probably in the best place of, of any organization to study and aid in the investigation of UAPs, given the technology they already have at their disposal, yes. given they are placed above the atmosphere and also below it as well. So they can literally come at this from a variety of angles that maybe others can't who are literal more angles. or less just, <laughs> yeah, literally the, the rest of them are just looking up. Yeah. Um, well, well, to, well actually, to just be sorry, sure. not, not those with secret satellites looking down <laughs> government and Black Knight satellite, of course. Na- NASA don't do kind of under the atmosphere ground observations. They're going to be using their tools that are, you know, orbiting and looking down. So when you see these satellites are looking at, you know, the electromagnetic anomalies, um, or sorry, I shouldn't say the anomalies, it's looking at the electromagnetics of the Earth or, you know, the under ocean kind of currents or wind patterns or whatever. They're going to be using those tools to kind of say, hey, was there something weird there? And did we pick anything up? I'm really curious what they would see if they went to uh, the the west coast of America on the 14th of November 2004. Right. Okay, so let let me ask that because one thing I didn't get that coming coming across in that first half of the call I heard from from I think it was about half the call was when they talk about looking at the existing data. Are they going to be able to look at data from the dates of the Tic Tac event, from the Omaha, the Russell, and other events that will be reported on? to look and see what was going on at that time, whether they have databases of imagery, video, um, anomalies, weather, atmospheric conditions. Is that the sort of stuff they're going to be able to look at and plan on looking at? Yes, in a nutshell, which is awesome. Okay. So think of it this way. 
anything from David Fravor's plane and those radars that were present and things like that, that's all classified. We can't see that. But if NASA have, you know, a few images of, I remember a, a year or so ago, someone found what they thought was maybe the Tic Tac kind of hovering over the water and some disturbance in the water. Now, NASA have much higher fidelity uh, tools and, and imagery than that. So they could feasibly go look at that area and see if the Tic Tac was there before Dave Fravor even ever got there. Um, so it, it's going to be real interesting. I, I'd love, if I could work anywhere right now uh, to study this phenomenon, I, I would love to be working at NASA. Like you said, you they're th- curious and excited. Well, you think that event happened over seven to 10 days and those objects hovered in one area. As Gary Voorhees and co talked about on the Spy One radar, that they could see these things sitting for 12 hours at a time. Uh, like You know, like a fleet of them, essentially. Yeah. Just dropping in from that 80,000 feet, staying where they were, and then they would head off either underwater or back, whatever. So there must be quite a decent time scale and time frame for them to look at just for that event. Yeah. And, and, and that's going back. In, if they were dropping in from that atmosphere, uh, you know, that that kind of level of orbit, sorry, like 80,000 feet, which is where the, the, the ceiling of the radar was. That's right. Yeah. And they're probably coming in from higher than that. And that, that would be really interesting to me just, just alone. Yeah. It, it, it's got to be an exciting place to, uh to start pouring through the data. And I love that they're bringing in civilian data as well, because again, if, you know, Bob Smith from Arizona spots something in the sky, they can just have a look at their satellites. We we know that there's kind of a lot of stuff up there. Um, NASA don't necessarily have the best stuff up there. That would be the National Security Agency and places like that. But NASA always get the hand-me-downs from places like that. So a lot of their tools will be, you know, the old NSA satellites and things like that. Um, really gives you pause to what the NSA and places like that would know about this phenomenon, given that they can look at that data. Budget was apparently between ten and a hundred thousand dollars. Dan, is that correct? That is correct. Sorry, I'm just going through my notes here to find. No, it. no, yeah, no. Sorry, I, I might be jumping all over. Ten, to tens of got. thousands compared tens of thousands to about a hundred thousand. Um, like I said, they're going to be going through the data right now. They're not going to be analyzing it. They're essentially making a big pile of anomalous data, and that word was used as well. They spoke about the anomalous movements, which I thought was awesome. Uh, in the in the press release just before they did this, they actually kind of took a moment in it to say that there is no evidence that this is extraterrestrials, and someone brought that up that line up uh, in in the Q and A. And they said, you know, that's that's quite a statement to be, to be making <laughs> before you've done any study. And the three people present took pains to to emphasize, actually, what what that means is that we currently don't have any evidence to show this. And they emphasize the we as well as in those three people. So it's not that they're not; it's that they can't prove it right now. And if they yep. could prove it, they would happily say it. So. It's really exciting to have people with such open minds uh, approaching this in a scientific way. And that's fair. Can I just say on the budget side of things, though, it reminded me when I heard that and a few people had commented on it online that, you know, ATIP had a budget of $22 million mm-hmm. to which people kind of scoffed at. But speaking to Lou Elizondo when we did in those early interviews and, and even since when he's mentioned it, that, you know, you, you can walk down the corridor and ask the guys in this room to show me x y and z and if someone else in a different department could use this piece of equipment that doesn't necessarily then involve any cash and like you say if nasa are talking about using existing equipment existing data and it's data collection data collating data comparison then that doesn't necessarily need a budget of tens of millions or hundreds of millions of dollars for a for a phase one of what is a nine month long investigation or study 
Yeah, exactly. You you don't want to fund this too much up front and end up with people complaining about the amount of money you're spending on it and pulling the rug from under it. You, you yeah. want to give it exactly as much as it needs. Um, and that includes attention as well. One, one of the other things I love that you spoke about is uh, nature. The line was, don't ever underestimate what nature can do for you. I heard and, that. And yep. I think that's that's such a great line. And it's worth remembering because we do not understand everything out there. We're always finding new things. Just this week, we're starting to talk about dark matter stars that we didn't talk about before. And for anyone that doesn't know, dark matter makes up about 95% of the universe. And we don't know what it is. So it, it might end up making a small percentage and the rest is full of a, a shadow biosphere or something. Uh, it's really intriguing. And I love that they're keeping those possibilities open. They spoke about the stigma as well, which I think is important to mention. That was my next bullet point, yep. <laughs> they essentially brought it up uh, using the phrase reputational risk um, and addressed the fact that just by having this conversation, that they're pulling that stigma apart and it will result in more reports. We've already seen the in, in the US hearings, uh, Bray and Moultrie said that they think that the reason for increased reporting is that the report guidelines are there now and pilots are losing the stigma. So they're actually saying something, whereas other people think that the activity is increasing, whereas now we're going to get the same thing probably from civilians and things like that. Yeah. And it's a real good opportunity for NASA to educate as well, because if there are, you know, a lot, say 100 reports out of 110 reports of Starlink, it's going to be great to show the world what Starlink is and to talk about that a little bit. And and just on that front, hopefully an upcoming episode of Coloring Outside the Lines will be talking about satellites and things in space and things like that. So so that will hopefully shed some light for people there. There was, um, I don't know if it was the same gentleman who was talking about the stigma side of it. There was a quote to paraphrase where he mentioned that the quality of science should be determined by the quality of the output. And again, that's that. that's a little bit of a, scientific and respectful dig at at those scientists who who scoff at the subject before they even themselves dare to look into it in any kind of scientific and serious way which these these people are saying you know we've got the equipment we've got the technology and we have the staff we have the academics we have the people let's look at this properly now and let's let the results speak for themselves that's that's essentially what they're saying and i think you have to at least give them that opportunity yeah absolutely You, you know we the community kind of rails on on people like Mick West a lot. But the fact is, he's doing the work that he can do, i.e., you know, if he's at home, he's using the things that he has. He doesn't have satellites above that he can go back and look at the imagery, and I'm sure he would if he could, but he doesn't. And until someone like NASA takes this and runs with it, we're just going to be a bunch of people examining videos of dots in the sky that, you know, we'll argue over till we're blue in the face. We need multi-sensor analysis. So... If NASA sees something, you know, say on that Tic Tac day, then they can start having a look through the other satellites that they have there. Maybe look if any gamma rays were emitted or cosmic rays or, you know, things like that. It's going to be a real, real interesting time to to see how they exist and how they see the world. Because, and we've had this conversation, uh, or I've had this conversation with a few people, just wondering if they can even see us in the way that we see the world, you know, invisible light, if they're in some other part of the spectrum, all better off. I'm glad you mentioned that about the the debunking and, you know, what Mick West does. And he does some good work in various other aspects of, of what he does in terms of analysis. However, looking at the people have asked why we haven't talked about the Jubilee uh, UFO, for example, that's came up because very quickly we were in our kind of private chat and, 
I think you guys were saying, Graham Rendell and Co., that it looks like it's really close to the camera, to be fair, rather than it just as a parallax effect, that parallax you, think effect, it, you yeah. think it's close to the jets and it's actually not as closer to the camera. So it yeah. could just be a, a bird flying across or a balloon or whatever, and there's, there's probably nothing to it. However, if you want to say it's a dot going across the screen, then yeah, what we don't have is, for example, let's talk about that DHS video from a few weeks ago. We have a pilot identifying three objects moving at a speed they, they claimed was Mac x y and z and three objects you know they weren't birds he thought they were aircraft so that's that's a little bit of a difference not to say either video is anything untoward and and what people like mick can do is they don't prove something isn't a ufo in terms of an anomalous craft what they do is they tend to prove especially with that limited capability mick and others have is they prove they can recreate a shape is essentially what they do on video oh look sure. i can make a triangle out of a light or i can make a circle out of a light or i can make this bird look like that and i think when you look at nature regardless of this phenomena that we're looking at all the different types of craft or orbs or whatever these structures are they all have shapes they all have circular triangular rectangular whatever it might be you know balls spherical and you can recreate those in any way shape or form so just because you can recreate the shape doesn't mean it's not something still anomalous. All you're saying is, well, I can also make it look like a circle. Yeah, but it doesn't mean that circle is not non-human or advanced technology or whatever it may be. And that's, you know, just something I was thinking of the other day when I was when I was looking at some videos that were online. So, but yeah, yeah not today. You're totally right. Just because it looks the same, it doesn't mean there is that thing. And that's yeah. why we need more analysis. And that's where these guys come in. You know, they, they could take something that Mick had put a you know 80 percent chance of being a balloon on and blow it apart or confirm it you know it, these, these are the guys with the tools that that we want and another thing that interests me was that someone asked about uh before now has anyone accessed the nasa data for this reason to study uap and they said that they, they're not aware of anyone that has um but that they acknowledge the work done in the dod already but they they're looking at what they can can contribute using science tools being fully transparent and open like i said reports public meetings uh which necessitates it being unclassified so we're not going to see a partition and a wall erected here between us and and that we we now have the public facing uap conversation coming from the public facing science organization in the usa and nasa we we speak speak about uh, the james webb telescope a lot and no doubt people think that's NASA. And the fact is, it's about four or five other teams. But NASA mm-hmm. just coordinate because they're such a big team. Science isn't like other things where there are borders between the countries. Scientists love working together because it's all about the data and tools. I would struggle to believe, just personally, this comes from, God, no place of knowledge. But people like Lou Elizondo and Chris Mellon have never, in their UFO conversations, and the people they you know, conversed with and officially or unofficially went, what the hell does NASA have on this? Because those guys are in space already. You know, that those conversations must have happened. I'd be amazed if they had that. That's where I would say that chances are that's where they go to places like the NSA. And there are other organizations yeah. with really great high fidelity satellites. You know, they're for an example, so we we have satellites that could allow us to understand the rainfall in a certain part of the world that would tell us that in a week or two, a certain village is going to be flooded. Yeah. Those satellites, unfortunately, are classified, which means that data is classified, which means the person who sees that first domino fall in that series of events can't say anything. 
and and there are lives at stake in some of those situations. So we we need to kind of get to a place where like yes, there are probably better places that have data and things like that, but we've got to work with what we have and wrestle the control of this subject away from the people that are holding it behind those pearly gates. Yeah. The, the last kind of part I'd heard on the call was probably before what you're discussing on, but it was re- very much on the wealth of talent that NASA has already at its disposal yeah. and the people that are going to potentially now be working on this that, more interestingly, might not even have an interest in the UFO subject. Although I imagine many working at NASA do have some kind of geeky science background and enjoyed Star Trek or Star Wars or, you know, those kind of aspirations as a child growing up that they, they saw NASA as being in the future. But to have some people working on this that maybe like, really? UFOs? UAP? All right, okay. And they're just applying that yep. knowledge and skill set to this and going, right, let's let's look at it from a non-biased point of view, an unbiased point of view. I, I'm not going into it because that was one of the questions, I think, or, or even one of the first questions asked on the Q&A, which is just where my call cut off, was one of the, the guys was asked about, are they going into this with a hypothesis already? And they were like, nah, not really. Just, you know, there's there's a lot of data. There's a lot of science to be done. It's it was all very much like exciting and kind of like a new football manager starting in the new season. It's like I'm I'm really excited to get going and get to know my team, see what they can do, and see where we can take this. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. They they were super excited uh, to turn this. Uh, what was the phrase they used? Turning a data poor field into a data rich field. That's the transition we're in now, and there are a lot of places kind of doing that. Uh, they they said they want to start poking at this phenomena from multiple directions, uh, which which I loved. Again, coming from NASA, like that's such a cool statement. Uh, we we you know may have been here before with with some things in the past with like Blue Book and things, but I genuinely feel that the people that were speaking on that call were open minded and ready to just go where the data takes them. Do you remember when McDonald's used to do McDonald's Monopoly? And they still do it now here in the UK. I don't know if they still do it in the US. And you could win like the big prize of like a quarter of a million or a million pounds if you could get, what's, is it Mayfair and Park Lane? No? Yeah, the, the blue ones, the dark blue yeah, ones. Yeah, the, the two blue <laughs> ones. And what you're looking for is you, you need both to win. Lots of people obviously get one of them and only so many of the others are printed. But the, 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 when they say data poor, I think essentially as well, what you've got to consider is that other departments, other areas, other countries, other organizations within and out with government have parts of the puzzle. And if they can just find, you know, we've got this and it's not great on its own, I win nothing. But if we can find the other person with this other bit of data, this other bit of information, then putting them together you know jackpot and again hopefully with nasa being involved and we hear about the air force and the army and such getting more involved in this as well if these organizations and it's something i'll touch on jim semivan said if they can all just start talking to each other as they should then this will click into place quickly for people and you can only imagine the network that they could have with all that technology and all that data where all of a sudden you can get rid of a lot of that clutter very quickly and have some very, very interesting, that, that kind of data-rich pool to look at. Yeah, absolutely. And, and as we go forward with this as well, we're going to start understanding what data we need in there. You know, what, does it matter that Bob Smith was smoking outside or walking his dog, for example? Does it matter that Chris Bledsoe was going through possibly the lowest moment in his life when he had his encounter? Um, the, these are all interesting questions, but we can't answer them without data. So as well as listening to experiences who will no doubt submit their reports to public databases that will be incorporated. We'll also be looking at all this other data, kind of pour it all together and, and see. It reminds me a little of Arrival. Again, I always mention that. But literally in that film, you know, the visitors give different parts of a puzzle to different countries. And even though that may not be happening in, in an 
you know, intentional way. Like you say, there's certainly an argument to be made that, you know, if Russia's seeing a lot of triangles, America's seeing sources and, you know, so on and so forth, that that could kind of come up in the data and we get to put that together and have a good idea of what the puzzle is instead of just trying to put the puzzle together face down where it's all just beige on the back, you know. Any more from the NASA announcement from you? Um, I mean, that's about it. But just that they, they finished up by talking about the James Webb. Um, that's on July 12th. That's going to be showing its first images. And they just pointed out that they're doing work to to look at habitable, ex- habitable exoplanets. And as well as that, James Webb will analyze the biosignatures and atmospheres of other planets. So it could spot oxygen, carbon dioxide in the atmosphere. And that suggests essentially that it supports life um, or supports plants and animals like ours does. There are very specific signatures that show up in infrared with crops and things like that. So we can start looking at other planets for things like that. So it's a very exciting time. Yeah, and just having a glance over the Discord channel and Twitter and seeing what some of the commentators like Gaddy Schwartz, just, you know, uh, officially NASA is wading into the world of UAPs. Big takeaways for Gaddy is, is like we've discussed that the NASA sees UAP as a phenomenon they don't understand and they want more data. The second biggest takeaway for Gaddy was the budget being less than 100k. Um but the focus tends to be pretty positive. The language used was positive. It's very much aspirational, which is what we were hoping for. You know, if again, we've talked about this before, Dan, where people complain about the lack of activity and not a lot going on. Um, one of our own colleagues, who will remain nameless, but he'll know who he is, Vinny, talked about how things seem to have been quiet on the UFO front. And I was like, I don't think they have been. Like, if you if you look back through the last six months, there's been an incredible amount happened. Yeah. And Again, this is just another thing where in, you've got NASA involved with adherings all in the last couple of weeks, which if those happened over a decade, you would have been talking about and shouting about them, but it's happened in the space of a couple of weeks. So yeah, for, for me, it's, it's a really interesting time and I look forward to seeing the next steps and that they've said there'll be that public call at the end of the nine months as well, where they'll come out and be transparent and give us officially what they've got. And we can only hope that comes. Let me ask you one one thing on that, Dan, before we move on to the two of the stars announcement. Does this sway the ball back into NASA's court at all of NASA being the ones who come out and say, we have found something as being more likely now than it was? We always kind of thought NASA might be that organization, but then with the government being more involved in the Galileo project and others, have NASA got themselves back in the game a bit more here? I'd say so. I mean, who who are people going to believe? Joe Biden kind of standing on stage saying, we've checked all the data and it's definitely aliens versus a bunch of scientists going through that data and going, look, this is how we understand it. And we are not alone. I, I would expect Biden to follow up and give a rousing speech from the back of a truck to all the people. No, I'm kidding. That's Independence Day. But I, I would expect some kind of follow up from the leaders of the world making statements. But initially, it's going to come from the experts. Just before we go on, I just want to ask if if anybody just by chance happens to have a baby across those nine months, let us know uh, because that that's the that's the NASA UAP baby. <laughs> Think of names. Um, <laughs> so um, and to finish off, that was the big announcement. the The second thing that happened at the same time, and I checked this one out, was two of the stars had. Uh, a big announcement and um, this kicked off at the exact same time there was a webinar hosted by tom delong and jim semivan with lovely small video windows because they were presenting a, a slide deck from the beginning um <laughs> I, i'm not going to lie from the offset tom's audio was poor and jumpy throughout he really should have disconnected and reconnected someone should have told him um 
they were a few minutes late, which, you know, they, these things happen. And I don't think Tom necessarily knew what was on the slides because he forgot to move the slide on and had already done part of the presentation. And then was like, oh, yeah, I've done that. And then at one point said the next slide is really interesting. And then it wasn't what he thought it was going to be. <laughs> and then he started doing that thing. You know, when you're really, when you're really badly prepared in a, a presentation at school, and you start firing through slides really quickly that you're like, oh, I can't remember what I meant to say on that one, or I thought there was something else. He actually does that at one point as well. Tom does most of the talking in this. Jim Semivan comes in now and again. Um, really interesting guys, Jim Semivan too. Um, they they kicked off with Tom giving his background on creating the bands, the companies. It came across as a bit of a relaunch of two of the stars. Uh, anyone who has two of the stars on their mailing list will know they've got a new um, stock option going out. They're looking for f- further investment. Um, I- I've had a lot of those emails from them, and this was very much met with... Well, actually, I-, I got another one of those emails to remind me I can invest about half an hour before the webinar started as well. So this was very much a, we want you to invest, and here's why. So we got a lot of background on what two of the stars Academy achieved essentially with the the launch, with getting Jim and Tom together, Hal Putov coming on board. They then talked about the advisory board that came in, into play a couple of years ago with Chris Mellon, Lou Elizondo, and a whole host of others. They talked about the you know Secret Machines books, Chasing Shadows books, Paul Anderson, the media they, side of things. Can, can I ask, but I'm going to be asking you questions this time. Yeah, yeah, you yeah. were watching this while I was watching the other one. Did they mention whether Secret Machines three or Gods, uh, Man and War, uh, the third the third book in those series, if they'd be released soon? So Dan, what Tom done several times throughout this presentation and ask for money was tell us that things were coming soon, but he'll tell you in a few weeks. Oh. Almost like this <laughs> should have waited a few weeks, and they could have done this with lots more announcements. It sounds like um, there was a lot of that. You know, Tom. Go, I suppose like myself, he starts one sentence but then finishes with something totally different and then goes back to what he was saying and I yeah. really want to tell you this but I can't but yeah that'll come in a few weeks but that's really interesting it's going to be amazing, there was a lot of that but anyway back to what I was saying before and there was a lot of just you know Tom talking off the cuff um, they they start the presentation, uh, he talks about like I say the advisory board, He Tom says we are not a UFO company I would I would just mention back to Tom, they said they would make an anti-gravity craft. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> um, he also said early on, uh, to quote, that George Lucas wasn't a Star Wars guy. He also made Indiana Jones, you know, so don't pigeonhole to the stars as, as a UFO company and a UFO group. Again, I would say that George Lucas is best known for Star Wars, but also Star Wars, he made a massive hit. And, you know, he made three massive hits back to back, which allowed him to make those other movies and, you know, expand his universe. I don't necessarily think, given what Tom's putting across here, they have had that massive hit. A lot of what they achieved, they they achieved with the help of others. And they mentioned it on Identified Series, you know, Chris Smellin, Lou and Jim Semivan, Hal Putoff and, and those those guys. But this now very much seems like Tom and Jim are heading up what Tom says he wants to the stars to be the new Disney. And that's what a lot of this presentation then went on to, to be. Um, did, he, he did they, I might be jumping ahead. I was no, just going to say, did they, did they allude to what they think their big hit might be? Yeah. Um, 
he says they want to take, and I'll I'll get to answering that because it was I've got the notes here, and Tom made a lot of points very quickly. <laughs> he says they want to take the story of the millennia and use that to launch the next Disney. It kept building to the, this big announcement that was coming out, and it very much moved away from that UFO focus to to media being the UFO focus. And the phrase that comes up. And if someone out there can check for me if this is trademarked as uh, informed science fiction, that came up several times within the the, the presentation. That's and a Tom's strange because really sciencey things like sci-fi are just called hard sci-fi. There's already a term for them. If you like your science-based sci-fi, hard sci-fi is where you're at. You know, yeah, I get that. I get what he's, and I know you'll know this, but I suppose what he's getting at is people talk about Close Encounters, the third kind, and that Steven Spielberg was given insider information to help him make that as realistic as he did. Again, Lou Elizondo himself said it's his favourite movie, given the movement of the craft, some of the things that happen, et cetera, et cetera, right, in terms of UFOs. Tom's obviously getting at, and he mentions a few times, you know, you've got people like Hal... Um, the people he's been involved with, uh, people at Jim Semivan, they are coming from a place of knowledge and they are putting that into the media side of things. And it's going to be that Disney, but for informed science fiction. So this is where the, the future generations are going to be able to see, you know, you know about the paranormal, you know about UFOs, you know about cryptids, you know about Bigfoot, you know about all these different mysteries. But actually... The people who know more about them aren't going to tell you, but what we can do is show you through opening up your imagination. And that's where Monsters and Cali... Actually, it's not meant to be Monsters and Cali. This is where Tom says, and I'm delighted to show you this big announcement, uh, and this is what I've got you here for today, to which he then goes to the next slide, which is Monsters in California. He then goes, oh, wait, no, that's not the big announcement. This, this was, <laughs> I thought this was after. Um, but anyway, yeah. and so Not, not Steve Jobs then. <laughs> no, definitely not. Um, Monsters in California, he confirms, is coming out um, August, September time. He hypes it up. I- I've said, I'm really looking forward to this. I told you this, Dan. That, um, I'm, he mentions <laughs> that. Um, and Tom's a good salesman. He he hypes stuff up. You know, people who hate hype won't like some of the chat going on here. But I, I get what he's getting at. Um, he mentions that lots of distributors wanted to distribute this. And as soon as they dropped the trailer for it, it was made independently. As soon as they dropped the trailer for it, he he done the Tom thing of, and if you've heard any Tom DeLong UFO interviews, you know, this will sound familiar, that we had um, uh, so many distributors, like one really big one, I, ca- I can't say who that is. And it was like, there was a lot of that, but they all wanted to throw money at him off the back of the trailer, which I hope they did. Um, to, to get this out in the biggest way possible. He says they are taking that offer they've been given to other distributors and asking if they can match or beat it, you know, blah, 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 blah. But the idea is to get people's imaginations going that paranormal isn't fiction, it's real. And Tom hopes to have that settled soon, that Monsters and Cali comes out in the biggest way possible. And I hope it does, because I'm really looking forward to seeing it. I would love to go to a cinema to see it. I don't yeah. necessarily think that's going to end up happening, though. I don't know about you, Dan. I mean, the landscape has changed a lot uh, yeah. during during the pandemic, and and there's a lot bigger movies that now don't even get a look yeah, in the cinema. Exactly. So I wouldn't imagine this will, but it would be cool if it does. Even if there are just you know a limited run, yeah, a limited run, some some small independent cinemas kind of run it. it. It would be really cool to kind of see that there. What transpired for me for the rest of the rest of the slides and the rest of the conversation is a bit like you've mentioned there, Dan that. 
two of the stars speaking. It's still a relatively small company. Tom has ideas to make it the new Disney, and this kept coming across. He mentions the big announcement, right? Let me say this first. That legendary films who made, you know, uh, the Batman movies with Chris Nolan, Interstellar, uh, June, June as well, yeah. A load of really big names. You'll know the legendary logo if you if you look it up. Um, they have uh, taken on the option for the Secret Machines films, which is fantastic. I really look forward to that. I, I Actually, I've misspoken. It's not films. Uh, it's Tom wants it to be a series like Game of Thrones rather than, a, than movies. He sees it as being $100 million a season. He, he wants a disappointment in the sure. ending? Well, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Wasn't a Game of Thrones fan myself. I'll get abuse for that. Um, but yeah, I, I would love to see that as well. Tom seems to be so forward thinking of, you know, we want to be so far down the line with this. And that's a wonderful goal to have and wonderful vision. I don't know if all those stops along the way are necessarily there. He mentioned things like, you know, we want this, we want the books to be like the next Harry Potter. But then there's only one Harry Potter, Tom says. He mentions that the Maze Runner series, he plucks some statistics off the top of his head, which I don't know how right they are. But he says that Maze Runner had like 300,000 books sold. And then once they were made into movies and were smash hits, they sold 15 million books. So that's the impact that a really good movie can have. And again, he brought up, you know, this informed science fiction, buying, pulling in that next generation. Um, and that, you know, again, the new Disney, he wants this to be the new Disney Plus, but for all that type of film, that type of content, the book side of it, the TV shows, very much creating his own IP, his own intellectual property. That was brought up quite a lot from that point onwards, and they want to make it on their own. Full they of want that to saying be... this week. Yeah, yeah, I know you have. I knew as soon as I heard that. Um, but they want to make their own stuff so it's theirs to protect it legally, you know. <laughs> but, but then they can get the biggest bang for their buck and also more control over it from that point of view as well. He mentioned that other distributors wanted Monsters in California before it was made, but they wanted too much control over it in terms of casting and the story and everything else. And I can appreciate that. Uh, Randall Nickerson spoke about that with Ariel, didn't he? That they wanted to kind of inject some big stars into it and it would have really kind of, you know, diminished the the result, I think. I, I think him finishing it and getting it out um, in the form it is, I think is the perfect way to do it. You do it on your terms and then if they want to show it, they show it as it is. Yeah, and to kind of wrap up a little bit on that, there wasn't too much more. Essentially, that was the big announcement, which mildly disappointing in terms of, ah, so you are very much getting away from any of the sciencey side of things. Oh, there is a little bit on that. I'll, I'll get to that. Um, he said that announced... I just want to emphasize this is an option as well. It's weird to me that he's announced this because scripts are optioned all the time and it doesn't go anywhere. So I would have preferred he wait until production was starting or something uh, before he announced it. But eh, it's happened. Yeah, there was no production or anything like that. Very much like it. But hopefully it goes ahead. He mentioned his next directorial effort will be announced in the coming weeks. He mentioned a, a Paul Anderson announcement in the coming weeks. He mentioned other announcements will be coming in the coming weeks. I, I can imagine Tom saw Doctor Strange 2, heard the term Dreamwalker mentioned, and just thought, yeah, let's get on Poe Anderson again. Yeah, there was there was a lot of, I can't tell you what's coming yet, but X and Y is coming down the line. Um, I got the sense that he saw that Disney's popular, Harry Potter's popular, Game of Thrones is popular. We should do that, but with our content, absolutely. But Dan, Joe Rogan's popular. I want to do that cool getting there something different and yeah. i think that's and I, but i hope tom delong realizes that dream 
because I think this content essentially can ultimately benefit the UFO subject and the the whole world of paranormal cryptids, ghosts, Skinwalker Ranch style, you know, activity. Um, yeah, I hope it happens, even in some small way. I think baby steps first. This yeah. could have waited till after Monsters in California came out, and let's see what the impact of that is. Um. But yeah, it was very much a, oh, okay, that's it. It got to a Q&A, which lasted a couple of minutes. Questions were clearly cherry-picked. It was very much focusing on investment and business-based questions. The only one of any real interest was, are you moving away totally from the science to being more media? And he mentioned the uh, metamaterial being analyzed still under the oh, crater. about the crater, yeah. Yeah. Cool. Um, he, you know, reported uh, from a crash in the 40s. It's, it's meant to be Roswell, isn't it? Like, that's the, the idea. This is the piece he didn't say, but I imagine that they bought from Lind- Linda Moulton Howe for, what, $25,000? That was in their published um, accountant sheets. Um, they mention it's with the U.S. Army. Hands over to Jim Semivan, who says... The CRAD has a research agreement, and we have given them this material. Uh, DeLong says it's a very uh, weird... I said it's a weird piece of metal, a very weird piece of metal. Jim Semivan says, if the army finds something interesting, and this is where it got a little bit muddy in terms of the army might keep it and classify it, the army might keep it and make weapons out of it, the army might not be able to do anything with it, the army might be able to do... 50 50 or 60 percent of what they think it might be or the army might just give us it back or the army might say we should license it for public release and just literally cover every possibility of you might as well not say anything at all right like stuff might happen stuff might not happen cool yeah plan (laughs) a stop short of you know the army might lose it under a table somewhere and we don't ever find it again okay yeah maybe but he covered all the scenarios what i did take away from that though with the meta material was don't expect to hear anything anytime soon it was very much, it's going to take a while. But even then, for me, anything substantial, we're not hearing anything anyways, it sounds yeah. like, for, from but what Jim Sullivan said. I, I consider that gone. I mean, they you hand something to the US Army, it's gone. They might still be talking about it, and they can have the best hopes, and I respect that. But I, I consider that off the table now. You had, you had something yeah, like so, that to any government organization, and it's gone. You yeah. Know? yeah, it just oh, disappears I, into the I black found hole. This I found this box of uranium somewhere. Can you keep it for me and then check it? It's legit, and then give me it back. Yeah, we'll take it. We're not giving it back, though. You know, so <laughs> exactly, exactly. So I've got to wonder what what we're going to get out of that. But again, you know, we're going to start seeing NASA deal with stuff like this. Part of the plan they come up with after this initial nine month study might be: Hey, there are actually materials out there. We should be looking at these. Maybe this organization can do that. You know? Yeah ultimately for me this this was a presentation to show people on the call on this webinar we are asking for further investment and the idea being that if we can get to where we want to be you will get a return on that investment dan am i right in saying that anyone who's invested so far into the stars had seen has seen zero return zero return yeah because they're not i mean they're not shares in the traditional sense they're not on the stock market kind of going up and down or anything like that they're just you're investing in the company it's better to think of it like kind of crowdfunding than it is investing he did did bring that up that they want to make it that you can buy and sell shares and stuff but again for me it very much needs they need to move on to that next level of success which would be a big hit movie and the the books being picked up if you know legendary pick up the the series for secret machines and they 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 go on to netflix potentially which is a chance that could happen or amazon prime you know with the lord of the Rings series coming out which is huge what billion yeah. dollar tv series do they they see something in that 
because I loved out a range that Amazon Prime done. That's great. This, show. Would, this would take that so much further down the line potentially. Yeah. So they, they there's would... a lot of potential. Something about the Monsters of California trailer that reminded me, and I know tonally because there were some jokes in it, like people will be like, no, it's nothing like that. And yeah, fine. It's nothing like the Vast of Night. But looks wise, that's what it reminded me of. This kind of wistful look at the paranormal and the, you know, the phenomena as we know it with the wide net. The only thing that concerns me is, sure, it's informed, but is everything in it informed? And because we know what people are like running with these small tidbits. And I wonder if informed sci-fi in the way that they're saying it could just serve to muddy the waters further you know i kind of almost want a little pop-up on screen saying this was something jim semivan said or you know something like that that'd be great so regarding the stock options i still can't see personally a large uptake this time at this moment um it's, it's odd timing given what they've announced but then how much more they're going to announce and they've got a movie on the horizon so it's still very much like things could get really good the way I see to the stars right now, as someone who was a fan of the company and still has a keen eye on it, just given what it could potentially, and I hope, you know, as a bit of a romantic, I suppose, like yourself, Dan, that it could still really give us something in the subject more than what it has already. It's a bit like a, a band that had its big hits a while ago that you've kept an eye on. They've not really released, you know, any new albums. Your your lead singer's gone and done some solo projects, but he's cough. taken along the yeah, take, taken along the drummer with him as well because he couldn't find a better drummer. Um, and they're looking for that big hit again that's going to bring them back. And they could still have that, but right now they're not playing stadium shows, and that's where they want to be. They're still yeah. playing the city halls. Um, yeah, and that, that's, that's a good way to see that big uptake in the stocks as well. So yeah, that that was the the two of the stars. If if you get a chance to watch it, folks, um, the the link was sent out via email to people. I don't know if they're going to put it online. Uh, check out two of the stars website. If they don't, I will. So keep an eye on my social feeds. Yeah, don't don't piss off Dan this week, folks. Um, <laughs> he'll 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 drop all your stuff, legal legal or not. Um, <laughs> <laughs> On that, uh, this has been recorded on Thursday the 9th of June. You'll be listening to it on Thursday the 9th, Friday the 10th, or maybe even a little bit further into the future, or a whole lot further into the future, and this is all totally irrelevant. Who knows? Thanks for listening either way. Um, What's still to come? uh, Dan, tomorrow we are going to record uh, a little review of a documentary, because the two we done last month that were both new releases were really popular. But loads of people have always got in touch with us and asked, haven't they, what documentaries do you recommend? You know, what are good ones? What do you think? Why should I watch it? And and we're going to try, when there's nothing new out that month, at least to watch one other documentary, an older one, and talk about it. And something we've discussed a few times, and people always ask for the link on it as a little bit of a hidden gem, is the Dan Aykroyd, and yes, that's Dan Aykroyd of Ghostbusters fame and other movies, Saturday Night Live and stuff like that as well. Um, Dan Aykroyd. Dan Aykroyd, Unplugged on UFOs. It's completely free on YouTube. The algorithm can be a bit messy to find it. I'll put the link for it in this description, but we are going to just do a kind of review on it. Not that it's going to be hours long, maybe half an hour, 40 minutes, 45 minutes, and discuss what we like about it, if people should watch it. It's a, it's a favourite of mine. It was one of those ones I watched a few years ago and was like, oh, this is surprisingly good. You know, I don't I don't really remember it, to be honest. So I'll definitely watch it again before we do the review. But it, it's not one of the ones that pops in my head when I think of my top 10. I've just seen so much, you know? Yeah. But that's that's kind of one of the reasons that it's good that we're doing this. Because we'll get a refresh and people, when, when they kind of, you know, they bite onto this subject, they're a bit insatiable with all the information they want to consume. So it would be cool to kind of separate the, the wheat from the chaff there. 
100%. Yeah, so that'll be out on Friday the 10th of June. And then on the Friday the 10th uh, in the evening, depending where you are, nighttime, morning, whatever it could be, on the YouTube channel, it is the interview with... True. Ronnie Vernet. Uh, Ronnie Vernet. Yeah, that's the one. Uh, I, I was thinking Travis. No, that's next week. No, next um, week. <laughs> yeah, so Ronnie Vernet, Brazilian journalist and researcher who is involved in the upcoming UAP hearings in Brazil. He joined me for a fascinating conversation. His own experiences, experiences are really interesting as well. And he tells us the lowdown on what to expect in those upcoming hearings. And I just recorded uh, this week with Travis Taylor. Um, Skinwalker Ranch and a whole host of other shows and documentaries. Really interesting conversation. Um, I really appreciated Travis's time on that one. We covered a lot of ground in a short period of time as well. That's out already on Patreon and all that kind of jazz. Um, but it's out Monday on the free feeds for everyone. The night after I recorded with Travis, I recorded with Steve Mera, who is a you know world famous, it's fair to say, UFO uh, investigator and researcher. He also owns and organises the Awakening Expo, which is happening in Blackpool in a couple of weeks in England. And we recorded for about two hours, 10 minutes. But again, we covered a whole host of subjects. Wealth of uh, knowledge, right? <laughs> yeah, he, he was really interested. And do you know what? Fair play to him as well, because I wanted to respectfully bring up some issues I have with certain types of expos and the characters involved. And he, he addressed them head on and he was in agreement with a lot of, I think what many of the listeners of this show have in terms of what they would like to see at these events. And, you know, Dan, we talked about that interesting crossover between the science and I suppose, let's just say the woo, you know, people talking about the black Knight satellites and, the Palladies and star seeds and all that kind of stuff at events and where where where's that crossover? Where's that happy ground? Where's that medium? And it, it was a really interesting chat we had back and forward. So again, that'll be out probably in two parts because it's so long. But from the thirteenth, twentieth, twentieth of June, that week leading up to Awakening. But they'll both be out in the same weekend. Anyway. For, for anyone that kind of is curious about Steve's work, I'd recommend just jump on YouTube and Google Project Doorway. There's a there's a presentation he did recently where he goes into if you've ever heard of the the kind of associations between magnetic anomalies and the geography of a place uh, where a sighting occurred. That's that's Steve and his partner, uh, I think Barry, um, who yes. do that presentation, and it's an awesome presentation. You know, there's there's a nice suggested correlation there that's really intriguing, um, and so I'd recommend that people just go watch it. I think it's about two hours, but you know, he hits all the notes, and you'll enjoy it. I'll put the link in the description as well. But yeah, we we touch on that presentation and a whole host. Of, we we go into a lot of ground, and Steve will be back on. It was it was great to chat to. So, but anyway, I've rabbited on enough at the end of this one, folks. Dan, thanks for joining me. Thank you. It's uh, It's been a great day to kind of, you know, celebrate this NASA news. Yeah, I'm going to head off and trademark informed science fiction. So <laughs> don't any of you out there think about using that. Anyway, good speaking with you and we'll speak soon. That is all for this week's show. Thank you very much for listening. Please remember to leave the podcast a review on your chosen platform. You can like, retweet and subscribe. That would all be very much appreciated. The shows are being uploaded onto YouTube as we speak more and more. You can sign up at patreon.com forward slash that UFO podcast to access the shows ad free as well. Please get in touch on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, that UFO podcast. Of course, on Twitter, it's at UFO, U-A-P-A-M. And again, folks, as always, keep looking up. You never know what you might see. It wasn't a tic-tac and not quite a saucer, more like a hubcap design.